Yeah, it feels like spring out there today, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I heard a few people saying, yeah, but pretty soon there's going to be rain. And, well, yeah, maybe. But, you know, the fact is, it's better than Calgary. <laughs> right? Uh, we're still getting snow out in Calgary from time to time. But um, I grew up on the farm out in central Alberta. And uh, we were used to all kinds of weather there. But one thing that always happened when I was a kid in central Alberta, on Saturday nights, we would all pile into the car and drive the 10 miles or so into town, park on Main Street, and look and see how many other cars were parked on Main Street. Because Saturday night was the night when everybody went to town and bought the groceries. It's just the way it was. It was part uh, convenient, part socializing, part getting to know your neighbors more and that sort of thing, right? So we would go, mom and my two, or sorry, myself and my sister and, and my mom would go into the grocery store together. And we would walk the aisles of the grocery store and pick up all the goods. And mom would visit with other women in the store. And we would kind of play with the other kids in the store and interact with the people that worked in the store. And, and it was a, a good evening for socializing and stuff. So that's when I was a little guy. Well, maybe about this guy. Um, back then, I would be with mom. Meanwhile, dad, who had parked the car. He's in the hardware store. Now, he may or may not have needed something from the hardware store, but he was there to chat with the guys that ran the hardware store, two brothers, and there was always at least one of them there. And they might look at new tools, and they might just shoot the breeze and talk with whoever came in that day. And by the time mom got the groceries uh, packaged up and put into the car and had had enough visiting with uh, neighbors, uh, dad would then head over to the pool hall. Mom, meanwhile, would head to the cafe with the kids. And so the kids and mom would get tea and coffee and maybe a juice or a pop or something. Dad, in the meantime, would go to the pool hall. Now, at the pool hall, you could get your hair cut. You could play pool. You could play tabletop games. There was this kind of a shuffleboard curling game that you could play that my dad always liked to play. You could shoot the breeze with your neighbors again. You could talk about uh, barbed wire and uh, you could talk about wheat and you could talk about cattle and what best type of breed of cattle there was to, to be growing at that time and that sort of thing. And it was... It was all pretty good socializing. But when I was a young boy, I wanted nothing more than to grow up to be old enough to go to the pool hall. It was okay to hang out with mom when I was a little guy, but there comes a point where you want to be with dad at the pool hall. <laughs> I never played pool in my life, but I wanted to be in the pool hall. I wanted to be transformed from the little boy into the young man, right? That's what it was all about. And so when, I, when the day came that I got to go into the pool hall, I hung out with dad, you know, I imitated dad, you know, might have put my foot up on a chair and put my hand on my hip and I tried my best to talk about cattle and barbed wire and <laughs> fence posts. 
And I tried to fit into the culture of that moment, right? And, and so here's this little guy trying to talk about crops and trying to, you know, you've probably seen those pictures of been farming long. You know, that was kind of me. I was, I, was, I was farming and I was hanging out with the big guys. I wanted to be part of that culture. A few years later, as I got into junior high school, I realized there were cool kids and there were not-so-cool kids. And I knew where I was. I was in the not-so-cool kids. But I wanted so much to be transformed from an uncool kid into a cool kid. There was tremendous pressure to become the adult, to become the cool kid. And so I, you know, I adapted and tried to become a cool kid. Some of it was okay, some of it was not so okay. And I never did become a cool kid. I became a nerd, but (laughs) I didn't become a cool kid. And so at a certain point, I realized it just wasn't going to happen. Later in life, I became a young married man, and I wanted to transform something else, not to transform into something else, but I wanted to transform something else. By the time I had become, by this time I'd become a Christian, and I knew that the world was kind of messed up on ethics and morals, and I wanted to transform the world. So I started writing letters to editors Uh, talking about how we needed to make change in our society. And I I started writing letters to politicians, trying to get them to see my point. Well, you can see how much I transformed the world. (laughs) But isn't this a story that all of us could write? All of us have been in that position where you want to be transformed from a little kid into an adult... You want to be transformed from the not-so-cool kid into the cool kid. And we all do those things that are just on the edge sometimes to be a little more cool. There's a lot of pressure on, our wor- uh, from, on us from our world to fit in, isn't there? So we may try to transform the world, but the world is slowly transforming us as well, right? There are things that are pretty innocuous and don't really matter. Some of the things that go on in our world, like uh, just fashion and that sort of thing. There was a time when we would have all, sh- all of us men would have shown up in church wearing three-piece suits and ties. We don't do that so much anymore. Uh, there would have been a time when women might have shown up in hats or bonnets on a Sunday morning. But we recognize that as just changing fashion. In the 60s, uh, the, it was natural for men to have short hair and women to have long hair. And we didn't think anything of that. And then came along the Beatles and they started wearing their hair a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And young men started taking up that fashion trend. And so today we don't really concern ourselves whether a man has short hair or long hair, or a woman has long hair or short hair. It's just fashion, and we don't worry too much about it. There are things that we are influenced by our culture, though, as as you can see. And these things are not just in our day as well. We're going to take a look at a passage in Romans chapter 12. And there, there was pressure from the culture as well to be uh, who the empire wanted them to be. 
And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21. I'm going to read all of that. And it's a fairly lengthy chunk, but it's, it gives us the whole context of that passage so that we can look at it and then think through some of the pieces there that talk about transformation. I'll give you some questions to think about as we go through that in a minute. But the first thing I want us to do is to just kind of recognize that um, this book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote it to Christians in Rome. He wrote it to the Christians who were in the capital of the Roman Empire who were trying to figure out how to be followers of Jesus in a multicultural, multi-religious place. And he wrote to them, he hadn't really met most of them, he may have run into a few of them at certain points in his travels, but he had not met most of them. And he's writing to them saying, I want to help you figure this out, how to live a life of following Jesus in a multicultural, multi-religious place. For Rome, the Roman Empire was a pretty strong influence at the time. They, uh, the Roman Empire would tolerate other religions, other cultures, because Rome and the Roman Empire was a pretty mixed bag of cultures and religions. There were, of course, Jewish people there that continued to practice their uh, faith, their religion, and they were tolerated amongst the Romans. There were those who uh, worshipped the, Ro- the Greek gods, and they were tolerated because they were very, very similar to the Roman gods anyway. And the Romans worshipped their gods in a very ritualistic way, and in fact, some even worshipped the emperor as if the Emperor of the empire was a god. There were, of course, other little cults and other religious groups in the, of the day that were there and some that had come from other cultures, and they were all tolerated as long as you didn't cause any friction with the Roman Empire. And the Christians, of course, were amongst these various religions and cultural groups. And The empire tolerated the Christians as long as they didn't do anything that looked like insurrection, that didn't look like they were trying to take over the empire or something of that nature. And so there was a lot of pressure to look like you were Roman and do like you were Roman while still following your own faith. So that's the kind of context we find these Christians in with a lot of pressure to conform, a lot of pressure to look like they were fully Roman and yet to still continue their faith of following Jesus. And so Paul speaks into that to help them to sort out some of this. As we look at this passage together, I'd like you to think about three questions. The three questions are, are we transformed by our culture? Are we to transform the culture? And the other question is, are we to be transformed? All right, so think about those as we go through this. Are we transformed by our culture? Is the culture transforming us? Uh, Are we to transform the culture or are we to be transformed? So let's take a look at Romans chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. That sounds strange. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Okay. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure yourselves by the faith God has given us. Now, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hmm. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in, your, in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. 
Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. All right, I told you it was a longish passage, but can't you just, you you can hear the fervency of Paul the Apostle as the Holy Spirit is empowering him to speak those words. And there's a lot of stuff he's telling them, a lot of very practical stuff that he's speaking into this context that they would have been holding on to and they would have been going, yeah, that's important. I need to listen to this. But let's just walk through a few of them together and kind of look at the practical things that come out of this passage for them, but also for our lives. The passage starts with Paul saying, give your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, the people of that time, the original listeners to this message would have been very familiar with sacrifices. Um, All of the religions of the day, the Jewish faith, the Roman faith, the Greek faith, uh, they, they all required ritualistic sacrifices. And they required that people uh, kill animals and sacrifice them or give food offerings of some sort. So they would have been, that's where their minds would have gone initially to think about the sacrifices that were being given. But then it's turned on its head when it says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And suddenly their, their ears pick up and they want to know what this is all about. How can we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? It goes on to say that they are to give their uh, lives to God so that he might transform them. These are countercultural ideas for their time, but also for our time. To say that you should sacrifice yourself, to say that you should give up your life is not well heard in our culture. We live in a time where most often we hear, you know, you can do anything you want to do. I can be who I want to be. I can do anything I want to, and I don't have to answer to anybody. And we've all met some people who are pushing the envelope on that one. But Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is saying, give up yourself. Sacrifice to God. Let God transform you into a new person. Not that person you wanted to be, but into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the person you will become is one who knows God's will, which is perfect and good and pleasing. The passage goes on with a few more specifics, and I'm just going to reiterate a few more concepts here. But the idea is that we are to allow God to transform us. And the first point we need to come to in that, though, is we need to recognize that we need transformation. Verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead in my notes here. The verse I wanted to draw to your attention is actually verse 3. So my apologies to the guys back there. Verse 3 says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. So when I'm trying to be the cool kid, (laughs) when I'm trying to grow into the adult I want to be, 
I'm not so much thinking about the transformation that needs to be done in me by God, am I? So the point here is that we need to recognize that we need to be transformed. We are are to recognize, don't think you are better than you really are. We need to be honest with ourselves and say, I still need some transformation. And who doesn't need transformation? We all need transformation. We all need to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And we'll be on this journey for our entire lives. We must continue to be transformed throughout our entire lives. Now I'm going to go on to that other verse where it talks about loving others. Not only do we need to recognize that we need transformation, but we also need to love others. Verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. You know, we've all become pretty good at acting like we love others. Our culture convinces us that we should be kind and polite in our conversations. But sometimes underneath, I'm not as polite and loving as I appear, right? It's just too easy, right? To have this surface that looks like I love everybody and looks like I'm kind to everybody, but underneath I'm... I'm upset. I'm not as loving as I want to be. And so the, the, the word of God here tells us, really, do not just pretend to love others, but really love them. And that's going to take a transformation inside. That's going to take Holy Spirit power in my life to make me someone who really loves others. The passage goes on in verse 14, and it gets even tougher, folks. We are to bless those who persecute us. Do not curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will bless them. Well, I might be willing to to bless them myself, but to pray that God is going to bless those who persecute me, those who are my enemy, the passage talks about, that's going to take a transformation from inside. That's going to take Holy Spirit power in my life to change me, to transform me into somebody who will bless others who persecute me and to, bless, and to ask God to bless those who persecute me or treat me poorly. Third thing, not only must we recognize that we need transformation, not only do we really love others and bless others, but we conquer evil with good. Verse 21 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Wow, that is the countercultural message of the cross, is it not? We just celebrated Easter. We celebrated Good Friday. We, we talked about the death of Christ on the cross, that he was executed as a, an innocent man. And how did he conquer that evil? He said, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was conquering evil with good. He was transforming the people. He was transforming the culture by conquering evil 
with good. And that is the message that we have today, that we are to conquer evil with good. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So near the beginning of this message, I asked you to consider those questions. Are we to be transformed by our culture? Are we to transform our culture by gritting our teeth and doing it? <laughs> or are we to be transformed? Well, it's, it's easy to be transformed by our culture, right? All we have to do is just kind of sit back and do nothing, and we probably will be transformed by our culture. It's difficult to transform our culture, to change our culture. And it doesn't matter how many letters I wrote to politicians or royal commissions or newspapers, I wasn't going to change the world. It's not easy to change this culture. But we can be transformed ourselves. We can allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. We, can, we are called to be transformed. We are called to let the Holy Spirit change us from the inside out. We're called to be changed by the renewing of our minds. Russell Moore, who writes in Christianity Today regularly, he wrote recently in Christianity Today and said that we Christians need to stop trying to stick up for ourselves and prove ourselves as if we could protect Jesus in some fashion. Now, he might have been thinking a little bit more of the American context, but I think it applies to us today as well, that we have a tendency to want to stick up for ourselves and stick up for Jesus in a sense. And he says this, he says, uh, as New Testament scholar Richard Hayes points out, the risen Christ did not appear in the temple and chastise his opponents. He did not appear to Pilate, or he did not go to Rome, to Caesar. The resurrection appearances were not a, how do you like me now, tour. To those who didn't believe him or respect him. Instead, he appeared to his followers to the women at the tomb, to the men on the boats, to the gathered little flock on the mountain. Even when faltering Thomas demanded to see the wounds of crucifixion and Jesus graciously accommodated him, the little band that would turn the world upside down left the room not to prove themselves right, but to bear witness to something real, to someone Alive. Their words were not, is God among us or not, but my Lord and my God. Russell Moore goes on to say, what if we did the same? What if we were a church so confident in our own identity in Christ that at long last we had nothing to prove but something to give? And then he talks about some of the things to give. Life. And rest, joy, and peace. Paul the Apostle from this passage might add love. Loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, loving those who persecute us. Sometimes we just need to live out this faith as if we believed it 100%. 
what if we lived it out as if we believed it 100%? Malcolm Geit, who writes poetry, he's a contemporary poet. He teaches, uh, I believe he's an Anglican priest as well. He teaches in a number of different uh, educational seminaries and institutions. He's got some beautiful poetry that helps us to capture some of this stuff and kind of tweaks our, our heart and our soul as well as our mind. And Malcolm Geith has a, a poem entitled, What If? He first quotes Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, where Jesus says, Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And then he has this this poem entitled, What If? He says, the giver of all gifts asks me to give. The fountain from which every good thing flows the life who spends himself that all might live, the root whence every bud and blossom grows calls me as if I knew no limitation, as if I focused all his hidden force to be creative with his new creation, to find my flow in him, my living source, to live as if I had no fear of losing, to spend as if I had no need to earn, to turn my cheek as if it felt no bruising. To lend as if I needed no return. As if my debts and sins were all forgiven. As if I too could body forth his heaven. What if? What if we were transformed? What if we were at peace with everyone? What if we loved those who persecuted us? What if we allowed the Holy Spirit to transform us? What if we were transformed? Oh, Holy Spirit, please transform me. Please transform us. Please transform the body of Christ around the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Transform us. Amen.